Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today on episode 82, we welcome Dr. Patricia Delgado. Dr. Delgado is a doctor of psychology with 20 years of experience in organizational and business development, management, and leadership, employee-employer interdependency, and employee behavioral psychology. She's the founder and CEO of the Bridgeify Group, LLC. With expertise in the science of human behavior in the workplace, Dr. Delgado's scope of work focuses on bridging theory and research with people management and behavior practice. As an analyst and advisor to other professional consultants, organizational leaders, and project managers, she provides expert support and knowledge from an IO psychology perspective through research and overall strategy design, development, and implementation of projects. Her passion lies in inspiring leaders and individuals to exceed their expectations through the translation of research into practice. Dr. Delgado, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. So we're happy to have you. And, and please, let's just get started like we do with all yeah. of our first time guests. Take a few minutes and give us kind of that story overview of your career and how your earlier experiences kind of contributed and led up to what you're doing now. Yeah, so for sure. So I am originally from El Paso, Texas, which is a predominantly Hispanic community and grew up there my whole life, went to college, um, got into the IO field pretty early. IO is a pretty early um, type field that is really gaining traction right now. So IO stands for Industrial Organizational Psychology. And really, we are not clinical psychologists. We are psychologists of the workplace. So we study um, workplace behavior, leadership, team dynamics. Um, the lens that IOs can work through is very big and broad and just allows us to do a lot of different things within the workplace. But we're really about making the workplace a better place for ultimately leaders and employees. So as I dug into my career as an IO, I kind of spent a little bit of time in training and development. I did a little bit of organizational development, um, but it wasn't until my doctoral practice and my doctoral journey that I fell in love with research and not just any research like looking, Googling something, right? Or going through Harvard Business Review, but it was really going deep into those scholarly articles, scholarly journals, and finding all these amazing nuggets of information, studies, case studies, um, frameworks, models, assessments, um, information that I noticed organizations aren't using. And so with that passion of research, um, and then also my background being Hispanic, I do a lot of research on the Hispanic community as well. I kind of brought it together and that's really my two passions that I do today. The Bridgeify Group is the group and my consulting firm that bridges research and practice. And then I also have another segment and component of my organization that does a lot of research around the Hispanic community and really how we can advance the Hispanic community and also how can we teach today's leaders how to recruit and retain this large number of working population. Um, just in, by 2025, the Hispanic population is gonna make up around 60% of the working population. So mm -hmm. we're a large number of working individuals currently, millennials and younger, that are in the workplace. And so if leaders aren't quite sure how the Hispanic 
uh, community functions and the cultural values of the community, it might be a little bit tough to recruit and retain them. So those are my two passions that I do. And it's been great. It really has been. I'm blessed. That's that's awesome. And, and you just you get me thinking because I feel like in my world as a data leadership person and in the, the kind of organizational change work that I do and, and all of that, I, I feel like I'm an armchair, you name the thing. And I certainly in this case feel like I'm an armchair organizational psychologist. I have no training, but I feel like I think about this kind of thing constantly, right? It's it's something that is ever present as a manager or leader in any kind of organization, uh, especially when you're trying to create create some sort of change, if you try to do that in isolation without understanding the people that are going to be impacted by that change, then you are going to have some challenges. And that I feel is something that, you know, I'm really interested in, in learning more about what you've learned and what your um, work is all about, because I think that that's got to be relevant to literally everyone who's listening to the show, because we all do some of this day in and day out. So where, where do we start with this? Where do you think we should begin in starting to peel this back a little bit? Yeah, so in my work, I kind of say I'd like to look at everything from a very macro level to micro. So, but then I also do it again. Like I look at things from a broader view as an IO psychologist, like I said, there's many lenses that we look at the organizational functions at. So I'm able to look at the organizational culture, their values, their processes, their data, um, their leadership structure, and then kind of start going, you know, dwindling down to the specific focus of what is that concern or challenge for the organization. And then again, with my IO skills of and my research skills, I'm able to tackle and get focus and clarity of how can we solve these current problems in the workplace, right? So I bring in my toolbox, which is of research, right? And I dig into the research and find those nuggets and then translate that into practical solutions. So right now, I didn't know if you knew, Anthony, right now there's a 15 year gap between the time that journal articles and studies are published to the time they're actually used in practice. So what, what happened over the pandemic with um, the vaccine where, you know, they did studies into studies and studies and it came out so quickly, that is like amazing because in the current world, when studies are done and actually published, it's taking quite a bit of time for us practitioners in the workplace, leaders in the workplace to be able to utilize that information and put it into action like right now. So um, there's a big gap, but my job as, as an IO psychologist and in my firm is to close and to bridge that gap, which is why my company is called the Bridgeify Group, because we bridge the research and the practice. So you're looking at these studies and understanding what these studies are, are telling you about the latest in organizational psychology and, and what's happening in businesses and, and how things are evolving, because there's, there's some change there. And your goal is to be faster than that 15 year delay that we typically have and bring that to organizations who need to make change now or, or, or dealing with challenges now. Um, so that they can get the benefit of that research without necessarily having the organizational psychology uh, capability on their own staff. Correct, excellent, yeah, correct. And so, for example, right now, the big research that's going on is the flexible workplace, right? This hybrid workplace, every, every leader's trying to figure out what does that look like in my organization, right? There is a number of studies and information that is coming out right now, 2021, 2022, information being published with best practices, models, um, assessments on how organizations can, 
can be more effective in their hybrid workplace processes. So one of the main best practices, and I always like to share this whenever I speak to, to leaders about the hybrid workplaces, the one best practice for leaders or team managers to do in their hybrid workplace team is to create team norms. Having a set of team norms really uh, solidifies the engagement creates clarity and everybody knows what's going on. So let's say that an email comes in at nine o'clock at night, right? The uh, employees are always kind of like, okay, do I answer it now? Do I wait for later? But if I don't answer it now, they're going to, they're not going to think I'm engaged. And so with these norms, the team is very much involved and understands the expectations that they have. So a hybrid team should have very clear um, team norms around their hybrid workplace. When it comes to those norms, because I think your example around like evening emails and the responsiveness and that stuff, I, I think those have all been blurred by the pandemic and remote work and that stuff. And now we're kind of many of us are coming back to offices and, and, and trying to navigate either hybrid structures or return to office. It, it's just total chaos right now. Yeah. And we're still not done with the pandemic, but we feel like, like we're, we're focused now on how do we get back to what the new normal becomes? How much of those norms need to be clearly delineated and specified and like should each team have their own and should they publish them or should the managers lead by example and then tell their team like here's what i'm going to do and i expect you all to do the same or like are there good rules that are broadly applicable of of how that should be or is it really a, a kind of a case-by-case -case basis and how do you how do you understand what what to do in that circumstance yeah, that's a great question. So the research states that the norm should be created and developed by the full team, not just mm -hmm. the manager by themselves, right? To continue to create that engagement that is lacking because we're not in a face-to-face -face environment. So creating that engagement, having everybody put their input in, and then the team creating a norms. Could the organization as a whole have their own organizational norms when it comes to flex place works, uh, flex workplace ability? Yes. Um, but when you come down to each individual department, each individual um, team, it's going to be a little bit different just because the, each team is different, right? And each of their needs and their processes and so forth are different. So yes, should organizations have some general norms? Yes. Should it be drilled down to teams? I highly recommend it. So does the research and it should be done in a collective manner. So it reminds me kind of those self-norming teams within Agile, right? Like in Agile, we, we create these self-norming teams. So like the specific processes become unique to the teams, but Agile has certain good practices that we all agree and follow and have some consistency across all of the different teams so that there is that consistency and reliability across what we're doing. And so there, there's some semblance of similarity there. Um, and so that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm, I'm really curious your thoughts. I'm just going to dive right into the, the biggest question in my mind is around, you know, this competing forces that we're seeing coming, you know, we're recording this in, in late April 2022. We're coming out of the pandemic. There's still some challenges out there, but a lot of organizations are moving back to a return to office situation. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, we and, and what we've learned is like we know people are really excited to not be at the office. Like a lot of people, so we're hearing a lot of people don't want to be in the office. Right. And we know that that's a bigger function than it's ever been in terms of what people are looking for in their jobs. And that is on top of a, like, I have never in my 20 plus years in my career seen a job market this tight and this difficult to attract talent. So on one hand, we have this force around talent acquisition that mm -hmm. is 
um, really interested in, in remote and hybrid working environments. And then on the other end, we have organizational culture, trying to get back to the way things were, to, you know, interest from organizations to get people back into these offices that they've spent a lot of money on that they and and maybe wisely you know know that there's value in having people be at but right. these seem to be in in opposition to each other do you have advice on on what we should be thinking about as organizations and as as leaders in those organizations to, to how do we manage those kind of conflicting sides of things because either way if we're not successful at both we're gonna have problems in our business yeah, definitely. And I think it depends on the organization. Each organization is different in how they had function before the pandemic, how they function during when all those when everybody went remote like 100% and then mm -hmm. how they're going to function post. So I really think each organization needs to spend some time, organizational leaders need to spend some time talking to their employees, talking to frontline employees and saying, what's working for you? Why is working from home so important? What will be um, your reluctancy in coming back to the office? Um, you know, a lot of people, and some of the research has stated that people, especially people of color, are having hesitations of coming back to the office because then they're, they're not so exposed to the possible microaggressions or discrimination issues that happen when you're in a face-to-face -face environment. So if organizational leaders really take time to uncover, tell me, you know, what are the reasons why you'd rather work at home? They might uncover these kinds of underlining reasons that maybe that individual might not want to be so vocal about, but if the leader takes some time, they might learn more um, than just, I like working from home. Well, no, maybe it's, I wasn't always quite comfortable being in the, in the organization because I did get exposed to some sort of a situation that was uncomfortable. Uh, so I think it's really dependent on the organization and the intentionality of the leaders. Anything right now leaders do needs to be intentional because employees are watching. And like you said, with a great resignation, they're ready to go. If they don't see that the organization is supporting them in whether in a flexible work environment, in a diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging environment, and all these things that have come up these past two years, if organizations aren't intentional about really trying to create that culture in their organization, they will lose. And I'm sure some of them have seen that. So I, I highly recommend, and I tell all leaders, take some time to really get to know what really are the true issues in your organization, not somebody else's, because that's completely different. Somebody other's industry, that's also completely different in their own. Mm -hmm. The answers are there. I always tell leaders, the answers to all your concerns are right in your backyard. Do you have, because I, I hear that, and I think that that is great advice just as a good manager or leader. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking at like the, department head or, or the team lead where you, you have some number of people reporting into you um you know like you said there's going to be circumstances with like return to office where the organization is going to set a certain policy that they're going to have widely applicable that may or may not be what's best for your group but that it will constrain your ability to change beyond that policy so like even though you know your team absolutely has great reason they have global teams they want to be um, able to take meetings any time of day whatever those reasons are they're they're worried about the microaggressions i think is a, is a great point that's easily overlooked uh, by some you know is is how how do you manage if you've been put into a box of constraints where the optimum strategy for your small team is not in alignment with that organizational strategy what can you do like is are you just 
toast at that point? Or are you just like, my team's going to all quit on me because I can't change that rule because the organization has overruled me? Right, right. Wow, that's an that's a great question. And I think if I had the answer to that, I'd be, I'd have people outside my door wanting me to do business with them, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if there, I have the right answer. Only okay. for two reasons. One, because things are changing so quickly, right? So right now it's hybrid workplace. In a month, six months, who knows if we're gonna go back back to the pandemic, you know, coming back again at, a, at the level that it was in 2020. Uh, with the rapid changing environment, this is why I see that leaders are just so reactive in everything they're doing because they can't keep up. They are what I call chasing the change versus them being prepared for the change. So my only advice would be continual engagement with your executive leadership, continual reassessment of your policies and procedures, continual reassessment of your employee engagement, and really just being in it every day, trying to create the change that, that you know. Now, if the system is set up a certain way and a team wants to set up another way, it's all about let's try to collaborate. But at, at times, that's not always the answer. And so I think people nowadays understand that and they end up making a decision whether to stay or whether to go. Yeah, I, Sorry, I was that's really... Such downer, that's such a downer answer, right? <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to give me a, an answer on what I knew was a paradoxical question to begin with. <laughs> I was really open for it. Um, but alas, I, 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 I mean, your, your answer is totally, totally fair. And as a manager myself, I, I will just add that my only strategy in some of those circumstances, when I've seen that occur, when I've, I've encountered it myself, um, is to just be as honest and as empathetic to right. all of those things. When I have to tell somebody, I can't let you do this thing that I want to let you do because we have a policy or we have something that I even don't agree with it, but we're, we're a little bit stuck. Let's figure out how can we do the best we can while being frustrated and trying to push for the changes that will actually get us to, to where we need to be. But that's been about the best I can do there. But I have a follow-up question. Okay. I have a follow-up question that will not be paradoxical. Okay. I'm curious about the latest research in hybrid working arrangements and that I've seen different approaches. So say your policy Maybe something where you can have two or three days remote and two or three days mm -hmm. in the office seems to be like where a, the, the bell curve is, is one of those two seems to be a lot of, of where organizations are landing. And I'm curious about best practices around that and whether the research is indicating should those be implemented where entire teams or entire organizations. I've heard of organizations requiring these three days a week for everybody are the days you need to be in the office. And I've seen other organizations where like. We're going to mix it up with whatever you need to do personally, we'll deal with. But I've I've definitely identified that those organizations that are going to have more flexibility in that hybrid work environment are going to end up simply coming to the office and doing Teams or Zoom calls all day, virtual calls all day versus having that in-person time, which I imagine would be more um, effective if everybody were in the office the same day. But I also wonder, too, like, what about these enterprises that literally have 50 offices around the world that they weren't going to be in the same place in the first place? So, like, we have these different teams. We have different technology. Teams. Like, 
we couldn't have done this even five years ago, so I don't quite get what we're going for there. What is the research saying about these kind of hybrid relationships, these hybrid uh, strategies? So right now there's many terms that the researcher is using, right? When, you, when someone describes a hybrid workplace, flexible workplace, hybrid workplace, telecommuting, home commuting, like there's all these terms. So the one thing I tell um, leaders is first figure out what term it is that you're exactly using in your organization. Is it remote working? Is it telecommuting? Is it hybrid workplace? Is it flexible workplace, right? Get the terminology first in place so that your policies are consistent and that you're communicating the language across the board of what it should be or what you all want, what the leaders want it to be, right? Next, it's really about them thinking, okay, if we do, if this is all about autonomy. This is all about employees wanting to feel autonomous to make their own decisions, right? That's mm -hmm. what that's what this whole thing is about with flexible workplace. The research says the flexible workplace is all grounded on autonomy. Are leaders ready to let go, right? Are leaders ready to give the autonomy, the full autonomy to the employees and say, I trust you. You figure out when you would like to come in and when you don't, great. And if you do, great. Are leaders, today's leaders, ready to give up that kind of I kind of say power, right? It's kind mm -hmm. of a power oh, to their, to, right. Are they ready? Um, that's another question they have to ask themselves. Now, some, some organizations and leaders are like, yes, and you're seeing an influx of employees mm -hmm. or people wanting to work for those kinds of organizations because they're making it very clear that they're leaving it up to the employee. You, Mr. and Mrs. Employee, you come in when you like, we know what you're doing. We have other processes to check your productivity. Mm -hmm. which is also another possibility the research says that when you give the autonomy there are other ways to confirm the productivity of the employee it's mm -hmm. not just you're giving up all your power and the employee's going to sit back no of course there's accountability and there's you know there's ways of of measuring productivity that still need to be in place but i think sometimes leaders get a little bit hung up on the fact of oh my god we're gonna they're gonna do whatever they want and now you know it's gonna be a free-for-all right and and that's not necessarily what employees are asking for they just want the autonomy um i don't know if that answered all your question <laughs> the research says the autonomy works that's what the research says mm -hmm. so how the organization creates that autonomy and at what level is going to be something that they're gonna have to ask themselves and ask their whole leadership team and say what is everybody comfortable with what can we do? What are based off our global locations, based off our type of teams and workers and industry? Um, what can we possibly do to create that uh, the feeling of autonomy that we're giving to the employees? That, uh, that makes sense. And, and I definitely would agree. It's a hard agree. thing. It's hard. Yeah. We're using it's almost like we're using dog whistles around return to office for mm -hmm. really fundamental struggles of power, autonomy, trust you know, verification, productivity, like it, all of these things, people are trying to live better lives and they're finding from the pandemic, the one good thing is that they were able to create a life that they liked and they don't want to lose that autonomy. And I, I won't put words in your mouth. So this is 100% me, but okay. I will just, for anyone who's listening out there, thinking about the words you're choosing to use, choose whatever you want, but please don't call it return to work. Because what have we been doing for the last two years plus? Like, we've been working very hard, in some cases harder than we ever have. Right. Please don't start the conversation by calling it return to work. I really, that one bothers me. That one triggers me personally. But I think it's just a good idea. Let's call it the office, let's start whatever we want, but not yeah. return to work. Well, and then the research is also showing that for two years, everybody worked remotely forced because we were forced to. And productivity still continued, 
I mean, there's organizations that are like, wow, this is great. Let's continue doing this because actually we save money, people are happier, and we're still at the top of our line, right? We're still producing basically with a, a top bottom line. So I think the pandemic brought out a lot of surprised um, benefits of working from home. So why are we fighting it if it's working in some places? Now, there are individuals, though, that have said, and even in the research that have said, I need to go into the office. I need to see people. I need to be around people. Being at home is just not ideal for me because I have so many distractions, whatever it is that, that, that that's going on with those particular situations. So again, giving the individuals the autonomy to choose whether they want to be in the office or not, I think is probably the best bet. And leaders shouldn't be afraid to let their, let, let the power go a little bit to the employees. They, they'll be probably pleasantly surprised. I, I would agree with that. And I, I will be the first to admit that I learned through the course of the pandemic and, and making those kinds of decisions for, for myself. I was fortunate enough that I had that ability to decide, do I want to be in the office or do I want to be working remote or whatever? And I found for myself personally, I like being in the office. I'm better in the office. I, I take so much from interpersonal contact and you know understanding nonverbals and things like that that i just don't do as well understanding through the screen and you can always see it like i'm already talking with my hands and stuff like yeah. you only get a tiny little sliver of that on the, on the podcast if you're watching a video but it's it's but for me i've learned that but i'm also 100 percent in support of people who are like, I'm so much better remotely. I'm so much more able to focus without all of the distractions of the chatter and all of the stuff for, from the office. And I, and I get that too. I understand that. And I certainly have days where working remotely is more beneficial because you can focus that way when, when the work is right. And it's, that's what's so tough is because it is nuanced. It is personal. It is dependent on your work. It is dependent on your style or your persona. And like, mm -hmm. we can't create one general rule for everyone in every organization okay. that that will work for and, and apply to. Um, and then it also drips to the whole workplace balance, right? And then mm -hmm. well-being. So now we go into this whole realm of well-being, employee well-being, workplace balance. Um, so we're not creating burnout. So we're not creating um, individuals that are just ready to go. Then it, it, there's like another layer that comes to it. So really talking to individual employees and, and saying, tell me a little bit why working from home works for you. Tell me about your family situation. Tell me about... I don't know, again, like the racial situation that's happening, um, or tell me why you like coming into work. So if they sat with you, Anthony, and said, Anthony, you said you like coming into work, tell me the reasons why you like coming in. Do you see how much richness they would learn just from asking you those simple questions? For some reason, leaders are, I don't know if they're afraid to do that or they don't have time, um, but again, the answers are in their backyard. And there could be multiple, like you said, there's, there shouldn't be a one size fits all because not everybody's life is the same. Yeah, it's so important to realize that your own perspective doesn't necessarily reflect anybody else's perspective, but your own. And and I mean, that's probably good advice in a number of contexts, really. But <laughs> I, I, I am curious, um, you know, what you've seen from the research as we're trying to come out of the pandemic for the Hispanic community? Are there unique challenges or are there unique patterns that you're seeing that may evolve some of the conversation we've already been having very generally? Is there specific considerations that we should be thinking to, to, to represent that community? Or is it, again, just as all over the place as it is for, for any other community? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. So within the Hispanic community, we there are certain cultural narratives that we, we the researchers like to call that we as Hispanics really um, value and there's really just foundation of who we are. So the family ish, the family narrative, which is called familismo, that's a big part of who we are as a culture, as we, who we are as a community. So in the pandemic, that really hit at home because the whole family and sometimes many Hispanic households have you know, one or two families living within the same household, everybody was there at the same time during the pandemic. So that created a little bit of a different way of living. Um, or the other type, the other type of Hispanic challenge that uh, that communities are having is also the lack of, you know, internet access and the lack of resources in order to work from home. So it's really different depending just the Hispanic community in itself is so diverse, right? Mm. Everybody thinks like they all look like me, but I have many friends that are from Argentina and they're white complected blue eyes or someone from Colombia and they're red hair, right? And just white complected, or there's the Afro Latinos, right? For that are from Puerto Rico or the Dominican that look black. And so in it's in the Hispanic community, the thing I like to always just communicate to people that don't know is that we're so diverse just in our community. So the best way to understand your Hispanic community in your area or the customers that you serve that are Hispanic is to ask that particular group and ask them the questions of, well, how is family important to you? What is it that that you your group in, you know, in our community values um, just because we are so different in so many ways? But the pandemic did put a lot of strain on the Hispanic community just from healthcare wise, again, just resources. Um, children being at home, I think that affected a lot of individuals, um, but we're trying to bounce back and, um, you know, just in a better way, just like everybody else. So I think, again, it's just talking to the individuals to learn about their, their culture, because this could be the same for someone in an Asian culture, even in a black culture. There's different um, values that, that they're founded on, that, they, that their behaviors are influenced on. And, and, you know, it makes sense that you can think about community and recognizing it's a diverse community of people, a large diverse community of people. Um, it, thinking about that in this context may help give you some hypotheses of things that you may find, but talking to the individuals, again, seems to be that pattern that we've identified in the show already is, is like, that's what will give you the best knowledge about what your right. team cares about, what your people care about, so that you can do the right things and, and, and navigating this unprecedented situation. We've never been through this in any of our careers, a situation quite like this, trying to find a new normal and, and guide our, our folks through it. I'm curious, um, you know, cause I, I imagine some of the folks out there, we can talk to our teams or we can talk to our, our supervisors or, or wherever we sit in the organization. But I'm curious what you've seen in terms of when there's a problem, and this doesn't even need to be, um, pandemic related, but uh -huh. just knowing we're in this kind of super fickle market where if we do something wrong, we may not even know we're doing it wrong until we have 10 people quit on us or, <laughs> you know, like all of a sudden we we messed up and we can't go back. Are there things that we can be thinking about or, or be doing to find signs? Hey, we're going down this path where people may not up and leave right now, but we may have a recruitment issue or we may have a talent retention issue mm -hmm. that could really impact a huge amount of our workforce and, and we may not be able to address it in time. Like, 
do you have any any thoughts on that? What we can be doing to protect our companies when we don't know we may be going down a bad path? Yeah, so there's so many things right now impacting companies. It's like, where do we start, right? Do we start with the recruitment and retention um, side? Do we start with the process side? Uh, the best recommendation that I give any organization, of course, and usually the bigger organizations do have this, but some of the mid-sized organizations may not always be intentional about having a strategic plan. Just a basic plan on what is important to us as an organization, what is going to impact not only our people, but our profits, um, you, and really trying to look at it from a larger business outlook, but then overlapping it with the people as well. I think sometimes organizations are really good at looking the bottom, looking at the data for the bottom line, right? Like, oh, what's making us money? How are we getting there? But they're forgetting that overlay of the people part. And so if organizations can do that simultaneously, look at both layers of influence, business, profit, people, then there's a different like integration that's happening there. Now, how to do that? I know that's always the question. Well, how do we do that? Well, I think it's combining more of the leadership strategic thinking with always the people part. Your HR team probably a little bit more than what HR usually is pulled in on. Um, if there's a diversity, equity, inclusion officer now that's been included into the into the mix, another another position that I think every C-suite should have is an IO psychologist on the team because that IO psychologist can inform them on the current research that's out there and help them synthesize and translate that research into like I like what I do, best practices and so forth. So I think having a team of experts really informing those two layers is what's gonna make the organization probably very um, comprehensive and very, let me say this, will help them make informed decisions, not reactive decisions. We saw that a lot, reactive decisions. Now, they knew that once they did those decisions, whatever it was, giving a statement after George Floyd, um, you know, moving a certain policy or procedure a certain way during the pandemic, these reactive decision-making processes or methods were not, are not working. So they have to really take the time to make informed decision-making. I think all these experts can help them with that. And it comes back to being intentional, right? Not yeah. just reactive, but like doing this and realizing what you're doing, what you're saying and why it matters and what you're trying to accomplish, whether or not you're successful is a secondary function, but you have to at least have intent of why you're saying these things. Don't just say something because, oh, well, we probably should say something about this. Have a purpose, have right. a, like have some teeth behind it and mean it. Um, I, Cause people can tell, people can tell. Yes. I, I am curious yes. as we're talking about like these strategies and these, these kind of, um, you know, top down uh, planning around whatever those actions are. I'm curious, your thoughts are, are, are company values and like asking. those value statements and this, are those actually effective or are those just marketing? Like I, <laughs> what's your experience with that? Because I've seen organizations that really live by them and I've seen other organizations that are like, oh, we have some, we, we, we wrote them down somewhere. Right. They're somewhere in the, in the drawer. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. what I, I was gonna talk about values. They are extremely effective when utilized effectively and in its full capacity. When they're utilized and they're just in the drawer, then they're not really the most effective team. But if leaders understand the values and understand how to integrate them in everything that that leader does, in communication, in interactions, when it is done the right way, oh yeah, that can be such a powerful tool that really, I say it's like the glue that really just brings things together in an organization and keeps it very 
whole and very in you know tight in what they're doing when the values are pretty loosey-goosey type like uh, well then you you'll probably see it and you're right all the employees can see right through that especially the research says minority employees can see when organizations are not genuine in their messaging i mean just like that like it's it's pretty crazy but i want to say it's usually probably all people right now can especially right now are very sensitive to hmm are they really doing this because they really mean it and care about us um, and the values are an amazing tool i would highly utilize the values in any way and really create it and be part of everything that they're doing the behaviors um, and think about the values that they put they can't just put trust great that's a great value or integrity okay great <laughs> what does that mean right like everybody's definition of trust integrity collaboration that's another great one um you know they really need to think about well, what are the how does our workplace work and sway what is the what is the energy in our workplace and the best people that can create those values are the people in the organization really not the leaders um, so if they wanted to reassess their values then I would start with the full, the people that are making the energy happen. And those are the ones walking in the halls and just really making things happen. They probably can give some really amazing values that truly represent what the organization is. And they have to be prepared that maybe those values aren't very good, but that's okay. Like maybe the values aren't a positive value right now, but it, I think it gives the leadership an opportunity to create a positive value. So you'd be better off at least articulating this is what we've heard our values actually are and being honest about that and and i just i worry so much when when senior leadership does this kind of stuff they they almost like pander to communities of of, of or, or their employees and they're they're not sincere and people can tell it's way worse when you do these things that everybody's like what are they talking about this right. isn't us this is like like it's just like we get you tried to do the right thing but you didn't you didn't do it the right way and everybody knows and yeah. so that's um yeah it, it's just like if you're gonna if you're really gonna try to do this right do it right whatever that takes and be aware that to do it right you may have to uncover some uncomfortable truths Correct. on your journey to getting it right and right. that's that's yeah. okay i am curious wait the one last... other thing i'm sorry to oh, yeah. i just i want to add one other thing that the pandemic has done to all of us is it's created a level of hyper hypersensitivity mm. so the pandemic is an environmental trauma if we talk about trauma just i'm not going to go super deep into trauma but if we talk about there's different levels of trauma but the pandemic is an environmental trauma which now we can all say we have been through a traumatic event yes yeah. right everybody if you were to ask Anthony, how was the pandemic to you from a one to 10? Everybody's gonna have a different level or scale, depending if they lost somebody, if how it, how it impacted their families and so forth. So leaders need to understand that we are now at a different sensitivity level when it comes to everything that we're integrating ourselves in. So this in, in like not being genuine and not being intentional, we as, as humans can now sense it even quicker than what we did before the pandemic, just because of everything that we've all gone through together. Pandemic, the what happened, the murder of George Floyd, you know, all of that has impacted all of us in very unique ways. So leaders need to always know that, that it's, it's different now, it's different. So their intentionality needs to be very different. 
Oh, such a great point. And, and that's yeah. like, I'm thinking of it where we've all been through our organizations have also been through a trauma. Also, They've also yeah. evolved and, and dealt with some struggle. Yes. What, what is interesting about what you just said though, is that the people, the individuals that have dealt with this trauma came away with it, with a new superpower. We all have this heightened awareness of all of these things that we didn't think about as much before under most circumstances. And our organizations have managed to cope, but haven't necessarily developed the organizational skills in alignment with those superpowers that our individuals have. Really yes. interesting. <laughs> yes, that is so spot on right there. Exactly what you said. We are we are just at a different level now. We we now want to have a bigger voice as employees. I say we, I'm not even an employee. I, I own my own business. <laughs> like, but as an employee, there's a bigger voice. There is a more hype, heightened awareness. You're exactly right. It's like we're here and organizations are trying, but it's really simple. Just be a human and, you know, meet us right in the middle, like meet us there. I think employees are willing to give their leaders that chance of, okay, right, we've all been through this. How do we do this together? Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that, I think that highlights another thing is that people understand this is hard. We know right. we're here too. Right. Like we get that the organizations are not gonna be perfect managing this, but we were, want the organizations to be adapting and listening and, and just like you said how important listening is to the organization it's also really important for the people to be heard that Correct. and believe that the organization is, is trying to to adjust for that right and i know we're we're kind of out of time but i want to ask you one more question because i think it'll put a bow on all of this is when you're dealing with like i you mentioned that how all c-suites should have uh, an io psychologist on their their team Sounds like a great idea. I'm sure most don't have that, but I do know that most organizations right now are dealing with some trauma, some, you know, trying to figure out some big problems coming out of all of this. When do you know as a leadership team or as a leader or manager, whatever level in an organization you're trying to solve these problems, when do you know you need help? And like this problem is bigger than you can try to solve on your own. You need that outside perspective. Is it something we all need or is it something where there are some signs where if I see this, I should probably get some better advice than just trying to wing it myself. That's such a great question. That really is such a great question. They need help, period, all the time, right? Right now they're chasing the change. They need to get in front of the change. And by doing that is saying, actually nothing we're doing is probably at its best. But the things that are at the best, let's acknowledge that, but let's also still even see how could it be better i don't i don't, they cannot be complacent in their thinking that oh we're good right now because our profits are up well no like it's all about being proactive and getting in front of the next pandemic situation i mean this is this is just another wake up call to organizations that they will always need help and that's okay like an individual, we all need help at times and that's okay. So let's find the help, find the people, find the team that's going to help and continue engaging in those different, I guess they're, you know, it's growing, growing pains um, and kind of put your ego at the door and make it happen for the people that, that work for you. That's, that's my biggest advice. So IO psychologists are the, I'm gonna toot the IO psychology horn right now for the last seconds because they are really the best type of person to have on your team because we are trained to look at the organization from very different levels and we are trained to use research 
as part of our solution. It's not our opinion. It's not because we want to satisfy the leadership. No, we are very trained to say, look, this is what the research says, and this is what the organization does, and together, this is the best solution. So I, I highly recommend that if a C-suite does not have an IO on their team or as a consultant, anything to look for one, because you would see a big difference. It's a bit, it's a different perspective than the HR, than the COO and the CFO. Yeah, totally. That's, that's amazing advice. So Dr. Delgado, thank you for being on the show today. This has been truly amazing. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it and I appreciate you having me and I, good luck to everybody out there and, and thanks for listening. I appreciate it. So before we go, what's the best way for folks to find you after the show, yeah. especially for those folks listening in? Definitely. So I'm on LinkedIn as Dr. Patricia Delgado Pena. Also, uh, the Bridgify Group is on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram as well as Facebook. And you can visit our website, www.bridgifygroup.com. Outstanding. And we will include uh, all that uh, information in our, our show notes. So um, check that out. Uh, go visit and, and certainly reach out. Thank you again for, for joining us today. And, and thank you all of, out, all of you out there uh, for listening or, or watching on YouTube. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.